Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au So good to gather together, so good to be able to worship together. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, reading from verse 1 to 6. Special welcome to all those that are watching online. So good to have you with us today. And so good to be in church. Next week we go back to normal numbers, which is great. Looking forward to having the church full again. Amen. Lucky they made that announcement during the week. Otherwise, we would have been protesting this morning. So that's what we would have been doing. Amen. Matthew chapter 2, reading from one, from verse 1. The Bible says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judea. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. And so, Father, we come before you this morning in Jesus' name. And we're so grateful that we can dive into your word and that your word is anointed and that your word speaks to our hearts. And that's our prayer this morning, that you will speak to us. Find every spirit of fear and intimidation in Jesus' name. Just let there be freedom. Let there be a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Father, let there be nothing in me. Forgive me of my sins. Let there be nothing in me that hinders this word. Let there be nothing in our hearts that stops us from receiving this word. But let it become a revelation that changes how we behave and what we do, Lord God, and how we view ourselves. This is our prayer and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I want to continue on the series, uh, The Promise of Christmas. One of the key themes of the Christmas story is the theme of promise uh, all throughout uh, the Christmas story, uh, this theme just seems to come up again and again. Luke's account of the Christmas story actually begins with the birth of John the Baptist. And Zachariah and Elizabeth uh, were unable to have children. Uh, and the text tells us that they were uh, well along in years. I love the way Luke is, Luke is very, very sensitive. He doesn't say they were old. Look, notice what he says. He says they were well along in years. That's the best way to put it when someone is old. Uh, well, an angel appeared to Zechariah and says, you will have a son and you're to call him John. And that's exactly what happened. Interestingly, Zechariah's name means the Lord remembers. Elizabeth's name means God gives or God uh, promises. So together their names mean the Lord remembers to give or fulfill his promise. It's powerful. And one of the key themes in the Christmas story is the theme of promise, that God is a promise maker and that God is a promise keeper, that God is a promise maker and that God is a promise 
keeper. In fact, right throughout the, the scriptures, this theme comes up again and again. Joshua said, uh, not one of all of the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every single one was fulfilled. Every single promise that God made to the people of Israel, every single one of them was fulfilled. The psalmist said, your promises have been thoroughly tested and your servant loves them. God gave a whole bunch of promises. They've been tested and they've come to pass. Jump over to the New Testament. And Peter says, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature. It's through the promises of God that we're able to become more and more like Jesus Christ in our lives, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. In fact, our whole relationship with God uh, is wrapped up in this concept that God is a promise maker, that God is a promise keeper. One of the reasons why we pray is because God promises that if we pray, He answers. One of the reasons why we obey the Lord or the principles of His Word is because we believe that as we obey the principles of God, that God will bless us. And, and one of the reasons why we give is because we believe that God prospers us. If ever there was a time where we need to understand the power of the promises, it's today. That in a season of uncertainty and difficulty, the promises of God can become an anchor that holds us. It become a light that we look to. They give us hope in, in difficult times. What, what, what helps us through those difficult times is the fact that God has given us a promise and that He is going to see us through. Psalm 119.50 says this, In all of my affliction, I find great comfort in your promises. In other words, when I was afflicted, what I, what I leaned Towards what I leaned on was the promises of God. Now, there are general promises in the Bible, the kind of promises that apply to every single one of us, but occasionally God will give us a specific promise. It'll be a specific promise for a, for a situation that we're going through, a specific promise for a, for, for a situation that we're about to face in our lives or for a, for a challenge that we're going through. It's that promise. It's hanging on to that promise that helps us navigate that particular Season. In the Old Testament, there's a number of promises or prophecies that speak about the coming of Jesus. And last week, we looked at one of those promises. It's found in Isaiah, fulfilled in Matthew. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. The virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son, and you to call him Emmanuel. That's a great promise that no matter what we're going through, we serve a God that promises uh, to be with us, to walk with us. He's not a distant God. He's not out there somewhere. He's the, he's the God that promises uh, to be with us as we walk with Him. So today I want us to consider another of the promises that's found in the Gospel of Matthew. And as we read in our text, Matthew says that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Uh, the Magi come from the east to see Jesus. They ask, where, where is He? Uh, we saw the star and we've come to worship Him. Now when King Herod heard this, he was, he was ticked. He was upset. And the Bible says he called together all of the people's uh, chief priests and teachers of the law and he asked them where this Messiah was to be born. And they all said, well, Bethlehem, because this is what we're written in the prophet. And then Matthew picks up this text, he picks up this thought and he anchors it into the Old Testament prophecy. Um, and the promise uh, was clear. It actually uh, was found in Micah chapter 5, a prophecy that was given some 700 years before the coming of Jesus. It says, But you, Bethlehem, 
Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Some people ask the question, how do you know the Bible is real? How do you know that God is real? Well, one of the reasons is because in the Old Testament, there were over 300 prophecies that were given about Jesus. These prophecies were not vague. They were pretty specific. They, they spoke about his birth, his mission, his death, and all of these have come to pass. Um, and so today, we're looking at one of these prophecies that comes out of Micah. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. And so the big question here is, what does this mean for us? What does this promise mean for you and me? Well, I believe embedded in this promise is a powerful spiritual principle. It's a simple principle, and yet it's a powerful principle that I pray God will speak to all of us about this morning. The principle is simply this. Never underestimate the power of small things to make a big difference. Never underestimate the power of small things to make a big difference. In fact, this theme runs right throughout the Bible. God used the staff of Moses to part the Red Sea. A staff is just a stick, that's all it is. It's a piece of wood, but God used that to part the Red Sea. God used the slingshot of David to slay a giant. God used the jawbone of a donkey through Samson to slay the Philistine army. God took some fish and bread and multiplied it. Uh, Jesus, in teaching a principle of the kingdom, said this, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. And though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Jesus is teaching a principle about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's kind of small. It looks insignificant. It doesn't look like it has a lot of power. The seed seems really tiny. But inside that seed is, is, is something great. And when that seed is planted, it can grow to become this massive tree where birds can rest under it. Never underestimate the power of the small. This is a kingdom principle. We live in two kinds of worlds. We live in the natural world. We live in the spiritual world. The natural world says you want to make a, a difference. It's got to be big. It's got to be strong. It's got to make a loud noise. It's got to, it's, it's, it's got to be popular. That's, that's what the world says. Jesus says, no, we belong to a different kind of kingdom. In this kind of kingdom, things are different. Things work different. The way, what's important in this kingdom is the small. Because the small has the capacity to make a big difference. Never underestimate that. Never underestimate the power of small things to make a big difference. And what I want to do today is challenge you to apply this principle in two areas of your life. That I pray God will speak to us about. First area I want us to apply this, this principle in is uh, to the area of spiritual growth. Christmas story teaches us about how to grow spiritually, how to become more like Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't come into the world as an adult. He didn't come into the world a fully grown man, rabbi, a teacher, a leader. He came to earth as a baby. And it would have been so easy to look into that manger on that day that Jesus was born, that first Christmas, and to say, well, what difference can a baby really make? 
But the Bible says, and Jesus grew. He grew in wisdom, in stature, and in favour with God, and in favour with man. That's Luke 2.52, by the way. It's speaking about Jesus' birth. It's speaking about Jesus coming. Jesus comes as a baby. But then there's this verse, and Jesus grew. He didn't stay a baby. He grew in wisdom, in stature, in favour with God, and in favour with man. In fact, before Jesus began His ministry, 30 years went by. 30 years of growing, 30 years of growing in wisdom, 30 years of growing in stature, 30 years of growing in his relationship with God. 30 years, that's one day after another, that's one week after another. Guess what was happening in those, not very much was happening in those few weeks, in those years, that nothing was happening. And you would have said, at age 12, you would have said, well, who is this Jesus? He's just a, he's just a young guy. Not much was happening, but Jesus was growing and he was growing and he was growing a little bit at a time. One plate of pasta at a time. One stir fry at a time. Don't want anyone to be left out. One, one paella at a time for the Spanish that are in here. That's for you. He was just one food, one dish at a time. One, one, one reading at a time. One prayer at a time. How did Jesus grow? He grew slowly. <laughs> it reminds us that if we want to grow spiritually, be everything that God has called us to be, accomplish his purpose in our life, then like all growth, you need to understand the power of the small. That spiritual growth in our lives is going to come from daily consistently doing the small things because it's a principle of the kingdom. It's a principle in the natural. It's a principle of the kingdom. It's doing the smallest thing. It's understanding. It's seeing the big in the small. It's understanding the value of the small. Oh, Pastor Joe, if I just miss my reading my Bible today, what difference is it really going to make? And if I miss tomorrow, what's, what, what difference is it really going to make? Because we're not understanding the power of the small. Just talking to God, coming to church, just going to life group. It's year after year, consistently doing what may seem routine and mundane, but that's where the greatest spiritual development actually happens. Now, I... Now, I know this is nothing new. You know, some of you are going, gee, we pay this guy to come up with this stuff. This is, this, you know, <laughs> I was expecting something deep, you know, and he comes up with, read your Bible, you know. But here's what I believe. This is what I believe. That the answers to our greatest challenges are in the presence of God. That the dreams that unlock our potential are to be found in the presence of God. The best ideas that you and I will ever come up with, they're to be found in the presence of God. The rewiring of the brain happens in the presence of God. Healing of the past, wisdom to make decisions, power to do things that we cannot do. It's to be found in the presence of God. But because we undervalue the small, because we think, well, it's, what difference is this really going to make in our lives? We never see the fruit of that. I'm convinced that if we develop our relationship with God, our life is going to be lived differently. Can I hear an amen? But in order for that to happen, we need to understand the power of the small. It's the small. Bethlehem, though you are little, out of you will come a leader 
that will save Israel. It's a principle of the kingdom. It's a powerful principle that if we would just get a revelation of the power of the small, it would make such an incredible difference in our lives. You see, um, we need to understand, and I'm gonna keep repeating this until it starts to seep in to our, to our minds and in our hearts. Our mission in life, our primary mission in, Pastor Joe, what am I called to do? I don't know what I'm called to do. Our primary mission in life is to know God. That's it. Let's, let's, let's just bring it right back to the, to the basics. What is my primary mission in life? My primary mission in life is to know God, not just to know God as some vague, you know, God out there, not just to know the stories about God, not just to study God theologically, you know, um, but it's to know God. It's to know God. How do we get to know God? How do, how do we get to know who God really is? How do, how do we get to know God intimately? Well, the only way you do is by spending time with Him. Every single day, just spending a little bit of time with Him. The more time you spend with Him, the more you get to know Him. The more you get to know how He thinks, the more you get to know what, 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 what upsets Him, what, what makes God happy. The more you get to learn to discern the voice of the Holy Spirit. And once you get a taste for that, you keep going back for more. Once you get an understanding of the power of knowing God, uh, uh, first commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Commandment number one, let's get number one right and the rest will take care of itself because Jesus said this is the greatest and most important commandment of them all. Bethlehem, though you are little, out of you will come a leader that will save Israel. Though you are little, out of you will come something big. Owen McManus says, we need to learn to see the big in the small. We need to learn to see the big in the small. It's a great story in the Bible of the people of Israel that, were, that had returned to Jerusalem. They were rebuilding the temple. There were mountains before them. They were disappointed because so little progress was being made. And Zechariah says to them, do not despise these small beginnings. Do not despise the day of small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. They were disappointed because they didn't have the big finish or they had with the small beginning and they're getting disappointed and they're getting discouraged. So often all we want is the big. It's either big or nothing. It's the big thing. They're the, they're the ones that make the biggest difference. Yet so often the way God works in our lives is little by little. It's little by little. God said to Israel about about their enemies, about entering into the promised land. He said, listen, listen to what he said. He said, little by little, I will drive them out before you. It's not just going to be one big, you know, drive in, that's it, and it's done in a day. No, it's little by little. It's little by little. I'm going to drive them out before you. It's little by little. It's little by little that God is going to rewire our brain. It's little by little that God is going to restore our hearts. It's little by little that God is going to heal our wounds. It's little by little that God is going to help us and shape our hearts. Because we don't understand how God works in our lives, we so easily get discouraged. We're trying to rebuild our lives, trying to get closer to God, trying to serve God, but be more like Jesus. But all we could see is one stone. All, all the people of Israel had when they were rebuilding the temple was the capstone. That's all they had, one stone, and they were discouraged. And so often all we can see is one stone. All we could see is our brokenness, darkness, our inadequacies, our failures. 
And because of that, we get discouraged. God says to them, God said to the people of Israel, do not despise the day of small beginnings. We need to learn to see the big in the small. Because all we can see is the small. All we can see is the small. But God sees the temple finished. This cornerstone is just the beginning of something great that God is building in you. Sorry, in the rebuilding of our temple, so often we just, we're not seeing things happen in big enough or, or quick enough or, 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 or as, as the way we would like. All we see is a little capstone and we can so easily get dis- discouraged. We see the small, God sees the temple finished. Be consistent in the small things because that's where the greatest work happens. On a side note, I read this week about marriages and, and uh, what makes a marriage great. And what this guy was saying, one of the key things, key things that, that makes a marriage great is just simply praying together. It can be 30 seconds, it can be 30 minutes, whatever it is, it doesn't really matter. But couples that pray every single day together, small, even 30 seconds, makes an incredible difference in a marriage. That's just for free, all right? Second area I want to apply this principle to is the area of making a difference in the world. So often we look at ourselves and we think, well, what difference can I make in the world? I'm, you know, we're just nothing. We're so small. What can we possibly do? Well, the Christmas story teaches us about how God transformed the world. That first Christmas, the world was filled with oppression and fear and poverty. They were waiting for a saviour. And when Jesus was born, Caesar Augustus was in power. He ruled the entire world. He thought he was a God. He was ruthless. Uh, Temples were built in his honour. Sacrifices were offered to him. Songs were written about him. Uh, The poet Virgil was a fan of Augustus Caesar. By the way, he invented a really good salad, by the way. And he said that Augustus is the divine king of salvation from whom all mankind has waited. He will annihilate the evil of the past and free the people from increasing fear. He will establish a universal empire of peace and will lead in the golden age for the blessing of a renewed humanity. The way Caesar ushered in peace back then was pretty simple. He killed anyone who disagreed with him. In fact, his, famous, his preferred way of, of, uh, of killing people was the cross. So God has this plan. God's got this plan. He wants to transform the world. He wants to save his people. He wants to free people. He promises peace, promises healing and liberty. So so what's the master plan that God has? What's the master plan for world transformation? What what is He going to do to change the world? Well, if I was a a, a God, I I, I know what I would do. I would have brought in a ruler with a big army and, you know, weapons of mass destruction. Someone who would have teach those Romans a lesson about who is really in control. That's what I would have done. Instead, God's master plan, God's master plan for world transformation, wait for it, is the birth of a baby. He brings the baby into the world. And, 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 and not, not anywhere in particular, I mean in a stable, in a manger, with cows on the side, sheep smelly, the whole box and dice. And he's born of all places in Bethlehem. I mean, if a king is to be born, he should have been born in Rome. I mean, that's where I would have get this guy... Let's, 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 get the, let's get the Romans where they hurt. Let's, let's get Jesus born in Rome. Jerusalem. Nah. Jesus, God picks Bethlehem. And this was the master plan. Yet within 200 years, Rome was gone. 
And 2,000 years later, we still gather to worship Jesus. In one way or another, the whole world stops and we worship Jesus. How did Jesus do that? How did Jesus change the world? Well, he did it the same way he's still doing it today. It's through one small word at a time. One small act of love. One small gesture of kindness. One small invite. One small phone call. One word of encouragement. One invitation. How did God change the world? He changed it through one small act at a time. And before you know it, the whole world was changed. Jesus teaches a principle about influence in the world that we're living in. He teaches you and me. He says, listen, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. If you're going to make a difference in the world, you need to learn to be the light and you need to learn to be the salt. How much light does, do you need to dispel darkness? How, how much light is needed to dispel darkness? I tell you how much light is needed, just a little, little bit. How, how much salt do you need to change the taste of a dish. I mean, how, how much, I like a bit of salt, but how, how much salt do you need to change the taste of a dish? I tell you how much salt you need. You just need just a, a pinch of salt, sprinkle it in, and the whole dish is changed. It's a spiritual principle. It's a kingdom principle about how we change the world. All you need to do is just, in a room of darkness, just flick a match on, and it's just a little, little light, and suddenly the light, the darkness is dispelled. So too of salt. Jesus is in Samaria and he goes to the well and there's a woman there. And all he says is, he only says to this woman, can I have a drink of water? That's all he says to her. Are you serious? A drink of water. And through that one little thing, a, a conversation ensues and suddenly she's completely transformed. Jesus is walking along. He's walking along through Jericho. There's this dude up on a, on a, on a, on a, on a tree and he stops to him and he says, I'm coming to have your, I'm coming to your house for lunch. That's it. That's all it was. And this evil collecting, text collecting sinner is suddenly radically changed. God's plan for transformation was not weapons and armies. His plan has not changed. He is still changing the world with one small word at a time, one action at a time, one text at a time through insignificant, ordinary people like you and me. Bethlehem, though you are small, out of you will come a great leader. And God is still using the insignificant and the weak. He is still appearing to people as he did to Mary and speaking a word into their lives. He's still impregnating them with visions and dreams and ideas. And he's still empowering by the Holy Spirit. He's still speaking to people about little ideas and things that he wants to do. Impossible dreams and impossible visions. And then he's giving them the power to do it. He's still changing the world one person at a time. He's still raising an army, but not with weapons, but with the sword of the Spirit. Biggest problem with us is we think if we're going to change the world, we have to do big conferences, big gatherings, big media campaigns, big, big, big. It's got to be big. Got to make, got to, got to get the people to notice us. And I believe in the power of big. Make no mistake about it. I, I believe in the power of big. There is a place for that. But if we want to change the world, we need to get a revelation of the small. We need to get a revelation of the small. 
We need to get a revelation of the small because it's a kingdom principle. Big is a, is a, is a world principle. It's the kingdom of this world principle, big. Small is, 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 is a principle of the kingdom of God. Sometimes we can be so taken by the big that we fail to see the hurting person that sits next to us in our office. So often we're so taken by the big that we, 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 we fail to see the neighbour that's struggling, the friends who just need to know that somebody cares. So often we can make the greatest difference in someone's life by just a call, small act of kindness. Hey, let's go and grab a coffee. We need to see the big and the small. Look at another text. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, this is Luke 3, 1, 3. I, lo- I love this text. You know, when, 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 when God, by the Holy Spirit, writes, there's, there's no mistakes. Listen to this one. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip Tetrarch of Utura and, and some other place, and, and Lucinius was Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, listen, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah in the desert. He went into all the country around the Jordan preaching the, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. At a time when all these great people were living, these great people, the word of the Lord came to a locust-eating man who lived in the desert, who went about preaching the word. The word of the Lord didn't come to them. didn't come to people who had status and power. It came to this... Who? John the Baptist, who lives in the desert, made a powerful difference. That first Christmas, the world was a mess, desperately in need of a saviour. People of Israel had a promise that a saviour would come. And they expected the Messiah to come with power and strength and, and loud bang and set them free. And Jesus did come. but He came in an unexpected package came as a baby in a manger, born in a stable in little old insignificant Bethlehem. Bethlehem, though you are small, out of you will come a leader. I wonder, is the enemy or someone trying to convince you that you're insignificant? Have you convinced yourself that God would never use you? That he might use someone else who's more talented, more popular? Pastor Joe, you don't understand what I've done. My failure's gone too far. I just need to sit in the back and just watch. Paul said to the church in Corinth, remember dear brothers and sisters that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And He chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. Never underestimate the power of something small to make a big difference. Never underestimate the power of something small to make a big difference. This principle applies to so many areas, especially in the area of spiritual development in the area of kingdom transformation. Just make no mistake, the opposite is also true. Never underestimate the power of something 
small, a small negative word, a small sin, a small action to make a big negative impact on your life. The opposite of this is true. But this is also true of decisions. Never underestimate the power of a small, good decision to make a big difference in your life. Herod hears about Jesus being born and he wants to kill him. Magi hear about Jesus being born and they want to come and worship him. Just a small decision with a great impact. The Bible says that Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost. And in so many ways, we were lost. What is life all about? What is the purpose of life? It's only through Jesus. It's only through a relationship with Jesus that we can find the answers to the deepest questions in our life. This Christmas, why not make a small decision, a seemingly small decision to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I can assure you it's going to have a major impact in your life. Come on, let's stand together. We're going to worship Jesus. And I just, I just pray that as we go from this place, it's the kind of word that we need to get a hold of and just begin to make some decisions. Just start to see those small things as having incredible capacity to make a big difference. And this Christmas, why don't we just try and find a way to do just some small things for the people around us. Sometimes it might just be writing a note or a card or baking something and bringing it to a neighbour. I don't know what it is. Just do something small. Never underestimate the power of something like that to make an incredible difference. And if you've never, ever given your life to Jesus Christ, why not make a decision today to serve Jesus, to give your life to Jesus? It'll be the greatest decision that you have ever made. And Father, I just thank you for this word. I just pray that it will become a revelation in our hearts that will change the way we live, that will change the way we see ourselves, the way we see our lives, the way we see our church, Lord God, that we will begin to see it through your eyes. Use us for your glory, Lord God. Use us for your glory. That we bind every work of the enemy, every lie and distraction. We come against it in Jesus' name. Every negative thought, that thought that says you're worth nothing, you could never make a difference. Who do you think you are? We come against that thought in the name of Jesus. You've done too much. We come against that thought in the name of Jesus. We rebuke it in the name of Jesus. We stand righteous before you by the grace of God. Use us for your glory, I pray. And this we ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You have an awesome week. And we'll see you next week, Christmas on Angus. Amen.